Good morning, Sherman Street Church. It is uh, March 29th, 2020, the fifth Sunday of Lent now, and the third Sunday of uh, lockdown, and this strange new reality that we live in, uh, that we're still trying to kind of find our way in. Um, yes, we are here, uh, speaking of strange things, we are here this morning in the Holmes Curran attic. Might be able to see our uh, dollhouse right there with the uh, looks like a fire truck on the third floor, which makes sense. Um, but here we are. We, uh, like many of you, are trying to figure this out and make our way through it. Things have been a little bit crazy in our house. I know some of you right now are enjoying lots of silence and solitude. Almost uh, for some of you, this is kind of a time of paid vacation. Uh, some of you unpaid uh, time off, which has its own concerns. Um, and then some of us, uh, you know, Jen said the other day, it feels like we're starting a new job, um, learning new software to do what we need to do, finding new ways to kind of meet objectives and have meetings and all these sorts of things. Um, yeah, and for some of us trying to do that with three kids that were all of a sudden full-time homeschooling parents of at the same time. So wherever this finds you at today, just know that the Lord is with you. Um, we are looking today at, uh, again, the Lord's Prayer, which has been our sermon series throughout this season of Lent. As we reflect on prayer, practice prayer together, um, I continue to enjoy the David Meiskin's book, uh, 40 Days to a Closer Walk with God, um, and doing these exercises of centering prayer. And uh, I know many of you have also found that to be something very grounding and comforting, um, as you've shared with me this week, as you continue that practice. Uh, but we are at the line in the Lord's Prayer now. Um, and uh, I think you probably already read it together, but Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer is in Matthew 6, and right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then these lines, which are relevant for today, for if you forgive other people, when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Uh, why don't we uh, just take a moment to, to breathe deeply, to take in uh, the love of God, um, and breathe out whatever uh, distractions or, or worry um, I mean, bring into this space, uh, yeah, all the, all the concerns of your life or the concerns of your life are the concerns of God, but also breathe in God's peace, God's love, uh, breathe in a recognition, um, that God is with you wherever you're at as you watch this or listen to this. Uh, God, thank you that you are here. We just pray that you would, um, Again, speak to us through your word and uh, remind us 
this morning of the good news that we have in Jesus Christ. And in that, give us comfort, give us confidence, give us courage. Let us know that you are with us and that your love and your provision never fail. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, the Lord's Prayer, we, uh, screensaver, make sure it's still going. Um, Yes, we we are going through uh, this COVID-19 thing, of course, and, you know, I got to um, do a video conferencing with some of my high school friends this week, which is one of the good things in the midst of all the uh, anxiety of this moment and um, the fear, the fear of of what is now, the fear of what is to come, um, all the uncertainty of this situation. there is good in the midst of it. One of those good uh, things is the way that people are uh, connecting in a little bit more intentional way, perhaps with friends and family right now. So I got to, yeah, talk with uh, three of my best friends from high school, which um, I haven't talked to for several months. And one of them, my friend Dave and uh, his, his wife, Rachel, uh, live in New York City. Um, they're Broadway actors that do musical theater, and so, of course, they're laid off right now, and um, they have not been tested, but they are quite sure that they uh, have had the coronavirus. Um, all the symptoms they've had have, have kind of lined up, and they're almost through it now. Um, he said they still haven't uh, had their sense of smell fully return, but... Uh, but they've gone through their, their days of being sick, of, of fevers, of the dry cough, of all these things. And, um, and in a sense, they have made it to the other side. And I couldn't help but be a little bit jealous uh, talking with them, um, that they have made it to the other side. Um, there's a lot, of course, we don't know about uh, this virus yet, but um, it seems as though there's good reason to think at this point. That once you've had it, you uh, develop an immunity to it. And so not only have they uh, already gone through it, but but they are beginning to um, reach this new reality of life beyond, uh, at least in their own sphere of the two of them in their home, life beyond the coronavirus. Uh, I couldn't help but notice, yeah, in the news this week, Tom Hanks and his wife, Rita Wilson, also being released from hospital and joyously uh, returning back to their homes in Los Angeles. They, too, have made it to the other side. And uh, when I think about this line from the Lord's Prayer, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Uh, It struck me this week as a reminder of the truth that in a very real way, we as Christians who live on this side of judgment, who have been forgiven, have made it to the other side. Uh, David Kelsey, a a brilliant theologian at Yale Divinity School, has this, this wonderful, vivid example in his book, Eccentric Existence, in which he, uh, he talks about the greatest catastrophe um, in the history of the world is the just judgment of God on the world. Um, all of us 
have sinned and fallen short, right? All of us uh, have failed to love up to the call to love God with our whole hearts and minds and souls and strength. We all, as uh, Stanley Harawas says, uh, have accounts in the red. And yet for Christians who uh, cling to the cross of Christ, who, uh, you know, next Sunday will be Passion Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week, and then we approach Easter. Uh, for Christians whose, whose lives revolve around the cross and the resurrection of Christ, we have made it past the great catastrophe. We have made it past the threat of divine judgment, and we have made it to the other side. And so Kelsey has this, this vivid imagery um, in his book. He talks about um, a photographer. This is in a chapter called Living on Borrowed Time, and he talks about a photographer named Diane Arbus. And how at one point Arbus had uh, an exhibit in which she, uh, all of her photographs were portraits of what he describes as uh, physically abnormal people, people who had these physical abnormalities. He says um, they were extremely short or tall, heavy or thin, people capable of rare physical contortions, uh, many of whom were uh, employed, he says, in circus sideshows. And he points out that... uh, Arbus talks in an interview about um, one of the frequently noticed, noted features of, of this exhibit, of these photographs of these people, are their extraordinarily unguarded presence. He says, they look in these photos neither ingratiating nor indifferent, shrinking nor self-assertive, weary nor in any other way self-protective. He says they were just confidently, stunningly there. Diane Arbus, the photographer, once said in an interview, most people go through life dreading they'll have a traumatic experience. And she says freaks were born with their trauma having already happened. She says they have already passed the test in life. And so now they are aristocrats. Isn't that interesting? People who have, uh, for whom the worst in a sense has already happened. They have made it to the other side. One of the the best parts of my job, um, I love on Sunday mornings when I get to lead worship and I get to... uh, lead us through through our prayers of confession, right? And, and we pray this prayer of confession week in and week out, not because we need to show up again and again and, and rattle off the things that we've done, the ways that we've fallen short, um, the sins we've committed, but we do it to reenact the greatest drama of history, the drama of our lives, the drama that our identities are rooted in, which is that we have already been forgiven in Christ. And so too, in the Lord's Prayer, we, we, we pray again and again and again, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, not because we need to keep asking, but because we reenact the once and for all forgiveness that we already have in Jesus Christ. And I love at the end of that time of confession, getting to do what we call the assurance of pardon, 
when I get to, to look out and look you in the eyes and say to you, your sin is forgiven. It's an assurance. It's a promise. It's something that you can grasp a hold of and carry with you. Psalm 103, um, the psalmist says this beautifully. The psalmist says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As the father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Paul says in Romans that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. It's grace that comes first, and anything good that we do is all response to what God has already done to forgive us in Christ. And this language of debt in the Greek, it, it really is a financial term. Sometimes, you know, this is translated trespasses, which, which kind of plays on other um, a word that Jesus uses in, in other uh, situations. But this term for debts, first and foremost, has a, a financial meaning. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Gerald Johnson talks about uh, going to, he says, imagine going to your bank and walking up to the teller and asking him or her to uh, erase the debt of your mortgage. He says, uh, it's something that I imagine often, but that I don't expect would actually happen. And yet, this is exactly what it's like uh, for Christians who come, for us to come to the cross of Christ and uh, to simply ask, God, Forgive me my debts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. Uh, And just like that, through the death and resurrection by the blood of Christ, all of that debt is canceled. Our debts are forgiven as we pray, as we forgive our debtors. There's this connection. And again, the, the lines immediately after the Lord's Prayer reinforce this, right? There's this connection between being forgiven and forgiving others. They go hand in hand. They, they, uh, to not forgive others is to, uh, as one person says, destroy the very bridge through which we ourselves are able to come to God. Um, or someone else says it's to, to cut off the very branch in which we sit this, this economy, this new economy of forgiveness is the economy of the kingdom of God. To be forgiven, which happens first, God comes to us in Christ, dies on our behalf, pays the price, and we are now forgiven and can live lives of forgiving the debts of others. This is the economy of the kingdom of God. It's grace, it's mercy, it's generosity, it's humility, it's true community, equality, mutuality. It's life lived in the context of unconditional love. 
This is the kingdom of God. And these ways of being are the ways of this new creation, which is springing up right here in the midst of the old. We do not have to fear God's judgment. The great catastrophe of history is behind us and you have been declared forgiven. We have made it to the other side. And so how does this affect how we live in the world? Uh, I can't promise you that, um, that you or your loved ones will not come down with this virus. Um, there will be more sickness. There will be, um, there will be death. Uh, I was relieved this morning to, to get an email, um, from Don and Don Pennyman, sibling, uh, um, hearing that their daughter Anna is uh, doing a lot better than she was yesterday. If you saw that on the email chain, that she was admitted to the ICU yesterday and put on a ventilator and tested positive for COVID nineteen. Um, what a relief to hear this morning that she is doing better, that she is stable. They said and comfortable. Um, we need to continue to pray for her. But all of a sudden, as we hear these stories, and I've heard from some of others of you, uh, all of a sudden, these are people we know, these are family, these are friends that are starting to be infected and hospitalized that we worry about. It's not just a news story anymore. But this thing this week is going to start to get more real. What does it mean to live as though we had made it to the other side? Again, I can't promise that. Uh, God does not promise that we won't get sick and that we won't see death. Um, in fact, death is uh, something that is a part of the reality that even Christians have to face. But we do not need to fear death because we have hope. And we do not need to live lives uh, lived in scarcity, uh, of hoarding, lives of fear, um, insecurity, because we are forgiven, because we know that we are held in the hands of the God of life, of the God who promises to provide, as Jen told us last week, uh, for our daily bread today. And maybe we don't have enough bread for tomorrow, but this same God will be with us tomorrow. And two, will tomorrow be faithful? Um, we can step out uh, unguarded. We can step out and be vulnerable. We can risk love even in a time when the rest of the world might be self-protective, fear-filled, and defensive. I think of what a wonderful example this, I don't know if you came across the story in the news of this priest in Italy, uh, an older uh, priest whose church had um, raised money to buy him a ventilator um, when he came down with the virus. And this priest chose rather than to use the ventilator himself, he gifted it to a younger person in the church. Um, that, that this younger person might have it and might live. And uh, sadly, this priest ended up dying because of this. Um, but what a wonderful witness, what a wonderful prophetic example uh, 
of the ways in which Christians are invited to live boldly, lovingly, generously, unafraid. And I, you know, again, this, I said this a couple of weeks ago, this doesn't, this isn't a, an excuse to run out and to be reckless and irresponsible. That's not the kind of thing I'm talking about. We need to be wise. We need to, we need to live, uh, with the least in, of these in mind, with the common good in mind, um, we need to be concerned and uh, vigilant to not um, spread the virus, especially. But we do it with a different orientation. We're invited, and this is hard, and, and I too am anxious and, and wrestle with fear, so so don't beat yourself up. There's There's all sorts of grace in this, but we are invited to a different way of orienting ourselves, of being in the world in this moment. So the priest in Italy is a, a bold, a huge example. There's lots of examples in history, right, of, the, of Christians moving towards the plague uh, at great risk, sometimes at great sacrifice. And, and the, the witness of that church history has shown us um, people drawn to Christ uh, through that, that bold and powerful witness. But it can happen in small ways, too. I think of uh, seeing Dallas DeYoung and Mark Wiggers and, and others at the church yesterday um, out in the cold and in the rain serving uh, 140 food boxes to people who um, have food insecurity right now. And this is what they're doing on their Saturday in a time where... Um, the safest thing for them and their families would be to just stay home and be uh, self-protective. Um, they have seen a need and they've stepped out in the, the freezing rain and uh, at risk to themselves. They have uh, chosen love and they have chosen service. Um, Jen's been talking about uh you know, she's been getting irritated about going for walks and how people, I don't know if you've noticed this, uh, people are less quick to greet one another um, as we pass on the sidewalk and, you know, do that six foot kind of dance. Um, people look down or look away. Uh, there's a different kind of disposition um, with this virus out there of, of seeing one another first and foremost as a threat to my way of life. And uh, Jen is actively refusing this by, by again, keeping that six-foot distance, but saying, uh, good morning, good evening, hello, of greeting people and smiling and reminding them, reminding herself, uh, we remind each other that we are fellow humans in this. She's choosing, rather than to orient first and foremost out of fear, to orient out of love. Um, one last example. Uh, legislation was passed, of course, this weekend, this $2.2 trillion uh, stimulus package, just this enormous amount of money. And uh, I'm sure most, if not all of you, have seen the news that we'll be getting uh, checks or direct deposits, um, $1,200 an adult, $500 per kid, uh, which is exciting. Um, and uh, I wonder... You know, for those of us who, um, and I know this isn't the case for all of us, but for those of us who continue to make an income during this time, how might we uh, take that money? How might we steward that money 
um, generously? Uh, who might we give that to that needs that maybe more than I do or maybe more than you do? Um, I heard an encouraging story in the last uh, this last week of some people in the church who uh, employ a woman who uh, clean their homes um, for families in the church, um, emailing together saying, let's continue to, to pay her through this, even though she doesn't expect that, even though um, she doesn't require that, we don't have to do that. Uh, let's recognize that this is her livelihood and, um, and this group of people can afford to do that and have chosen to do that. Uh, how might we steward this this money, right? The Bible has a lot to say about money. Um, what we do with our money says a lot about how we orient our lives, what our values are. Um, how might we steward this money towards justice and in a way that uh, shows that we believe that God is not a God of scarcity, but a God of abundance, a God who will provide, a God who uh, loves all people um, and has a special concern for the poor and the marginalized. So as you go into this next week, um, whatever this week holds for you, for your family, um, wherever you're at, if you feel like you're um, grounded right now or teetering on, on the brink, uh, know that God is with you and know that because we are forgiven, we live on the other side of the greatest catastrophe that could possibly happen. And so I invite you to live lives of... Uh, vulnerability, of generosity, of, of security, of unconditional love. God bless us um, to be a blessing, even in the midst of this, that the world may know your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.